Hey guys, I believe this one went out on time. So I want to give it up for myself, Mrs. Brightside, for the bright side of putting your show out on time and having a full-on show. So yeah, this week I have Katie Cullen, who um, you will know from, of course, After Buzz TV. But yeah, we talk about the bright sign of fandom. Fancy that. All right, enjoy. Be that Mrs. Brightside. Uh, open up the curtains. Look outside. What's outside? It's Mrs. Brightside. All right. You're listening to Mrs. Brightside, where the glass is always half full. And this week, I have the lovely Katie Cullen with me. I'm yes. coming out of my cage, and I've been doing just fine. <laughs> gotta, gotta be down because, because I want it all. <laughs> Actually, um, I was I wrote a parody to that song, and my brother yes. was supposed to do the music for it. And much like the theme song for The Red Room, that hasn't happened yet. But luckily, Dave Child did a theme song on my podcast with him. So I have cut that, and it comes before this every week now. <laughs> And then it's I was like say, you can mm-hmm. always get a karaoke version and then just go for it. Yeah, I like did that, but it doesn't like the karaoke version is like a beat off, so it oh. doesn't really work. Like, cause I tried that, I'm like, okay, let me record like I do this, and I was like, this sucks. How can you have a karaoke version that's a beat off? Like, yeah, like it's much slower than the song. Yeah, like, but a lot of karaoke songs are mu- slowed down. Like, huh. yeah, or oh, that's a good point. Yeah. I've done enough Bohemian Rhapsody in my life to know that. <laughs> I'm like, this is much faster. That sort of song that just kind of closes is down the bar. Is this real life? Is what? this just fantasy? Caught in a landslide. No escape from reality. Open your eyes. Look up to the skies and see. I could go on forever because I love Queen that much. We I, could. Are you excited for the Bohemian Rhapsody movie? I don't actually. I've, I've seen yeah. so much about it. And some of it's like, yes. And some of it's like, oh, that's a problem. So I'm just kind of waiting to see how things shake out. Well, like, the tr- like I am very protective of Freddie. Like, Freddie Mercury is my favorite singer of all time. I, I'm a big fan. And I always thought he was so great. And it's just unfortunate that he died before you know, I was even born, I think, and to see him in concert. And it's just, the what I've seen in this movie really excites me that they're going to tell a good story and it's going to pay homage to him. And then everybody who knows him is on board with this. And Rami Malek looks perfect as Freddie Mercury. So, like, I'm pretty excited. From what I've heard, it's still very much worth it to go to Queen concerts. For one, they have Adam Lambert, I believe, yeah, singing with I, them. I but don't the like him. But the thing is, they also, he straight up acknowledges yeah. that he's not Freddie and that no. he's very fortunate to be singing with them. And evidently, they also have a whole bunch of tracks where they have Freddie's vocals um, isolated. And so they will play songs and have that vocal track playing with them and they'll do Focus on Him and they'll do... So yeah, there. No, I could no one is that. trying to leave yeah. Freddie behind. Queen is still yeah. very much aware of all of that. Yeah, Brian May was a lot of the band as well. So like, mus- the musicians are great. I just, I, I know I'm I'm in the minority apparently because a lot of people do like uh, the Adam Lambert version. But you know, I guess it's just like you know I'm a Van Halen fan, and and, and uh, Sammy Hagar was fine, but it was never David Lee Roth. Or, you know, I mean, there's a lot of instances like that. And, I mean, 
it's like I'm glad that they that the band's still touring and everything, but I just don't know if that'd be my cup of tea. Well, I guess that's why it's good we're talking about fandom, yeah. <laughs> like because I'm like oh my queen fandom where I'm like. But I'm not going to be like, oh my god, this is garbage, this crap's on the legacy. Because it really doesn't. It's just not my thing. Like, Yeah. Yeah. And there's a huge difference. And it's it's really important for people who are in fandom to be able to go, I don't appreciate it. But that doesn't mean you can't. And sadly, that's something that we're losing in a lot of, especially younger fandom today. Yeah. Because like, we've... And this, <laughs> I saw someone point this out and I'm like, oh my actual god, you're right. Because I cut my teeth in fandom on Live Journal, essentially. That was when I really... It was Kingdom Hearts. One of my friends pulled me into Kingdom Hearts fan, like, oh, you've played the game. Here, join this community. Okay! And then it was amazing. But the great thing about Live Journal at the time was the idea of the moderated community, where you had people who were the responsible adults or who were at least acting like the responsible adults, regardless of how old they were. And you had rules to follow, and you could, like, if anyone came in and was just being a jerk, you could go, okay, well, here's the rules. Is there a reason you're choosing to do the thing? And if it's, oh, I wasn't aware, oh, I didn't read them, oh, I'm sorry, I got a little too into it, then it's, all right, chill out, lurk a little bit in the community, kind of see how we do things here, and then join in when you think you've got the hang of it, and we'll, you know, give it another try. And then if they came in just to be a jerk, we could be like, okay, bye, and it would work out. And then Live Journal got bought out by Russia. No, seriously, got bought out by Russia. Like, this is a thing that occurred. <laughs> Live Journal was widely used in Russia by uh, political bloggers. And so it got doxxed on the regular after a while. And then Russia straight up bought it. And that's kind of when people went, okay, it stopped being user-friendly. The support tickets have stopped. We need somewhere else to go. And a chunk of people went to Dreamwith, but a lot of them migrated to Tumblr which is kind of the wild west of fandom and is a whole lot of screaming into the void. <laughs> there are no communities, there is no moderation, and so there's a lot less accountability because you can be anonymous, because you can do whatever, because, you know, one person reblogs your post and says, well, I disagree with you, and you can go, I don't know you from Adam, and therefore your opinion doesn't matter. So there is a lot less learning from one another and cohesiveness, and I think there's a lot less learning of manners. Tumblr is very, very good for a lot of things. It's very good for sharing art and music and just a creative outlet. Yeah, the Christopher Maloney butt one, like me and Rachel Harris, the actress, are really into that one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's, and I've, I've seen posts that have started with, hey, there's this, or someone will put up a prompt and someone will write several paragraphs of fiction and someone else completely different will pick it up and run with it. And then you wind up with probably a thousand words of, more than that at this point of just some incredible incredible stuff and people working off of each other's creativity so it's really really good for you know throwing the bottle into the ocean throwing something into the wind just letting it go and seeing what happens but it's not really great for community cohesiveness and that can lead to developing a culture that's no one ever checks anyone else there are no moderators there is no authority the younger people don't learn from the older people because how do we know who's been around for a while and who's just acting like it? And so you get this culture that doesn't know how to accept other people's preferences, that doesn't know how to say, it's okay that you like the thing, 
I like a different thing. Let's talk about this thing that we both like that is neither of those subjects. And instead goes, but you're wrong because I like this thing. So it, it can be a little more difficult to balance that fandom culture at this point. And I realize this is an optimism podcast, and I'm sitting here going, here's the problem with fandom today. Well, and, it's and, hard to talk about fandom without addressing that. Or addressing there is issue. this dark side. Yeah. Especially if you go into certain fandoms that have... Dun, 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 dun. I'm going to add sound effects that because I'm like... That is not actually what I was thinking I was about. like, there is a dark side. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, no, there is that. No, Star Wars fandom certainly... <laughs> Star Wars fandom has its people who are like, oh, yeah. I have been here since 1977, it's fine. And people who are like, but Raylo is the best thing ever and you guys just don't understand it. And then there's throwdowns over Raylo. And I'm like, I, I don't care for that ship at all. I mean, y'all have some fun if you like it. And I'll just be over here with my Finn Raypo OT3. The- Those can come too. <laughs> the interesting thing about the Star Wars fandom in particular is that, you know, I, Lex Michael, who's a mutual friend of both of ours, he went and looked up because of the mixed reactions of The Last Jedi, and he really loved it. And he went and looked up, and he's like, what was the general reaction to Empire Strikes Back? And it was along the same lines. Oh, yeah. Yet now, Empire is considered the best movie by most Star Wars fans. Yeah. Um, and that's that's what's interesting to me, and we'll see in probably 20 years how uh, The Last Jedi fares overall, because I think it was a good movie. I do, you know, see the point of view of a lot of the dissenters, and, and I do see that it's, it's a flawed film, um, like most films. But oh, it's yeah. like... It doesn't... It, as Lex and I discussed on the Bright Side of Bad Movies... These things aren't for you. And that's the hardest part of fandom. Yeah. And, you know, much like you, I started really into fandom, like, um, online uh, mostly. Because I, you know, grew up comic books, horror movies. I had things that I was a fan of. But the one thing when I really got into fandom was Buffy. And Yahoo groups, the RPGs, I even ran a few. Even had my own website that was a mod, and I was the moderator. So when you're talking about this, the moderating and keeping the rules, I eventually became that person, even as like a 12 year old girl, like having this. I owned Chaos Bleeds. If anybody was a member of that site, that that is me now, and I've really become a, a different person. But yeah, like I was, I, have, I was the best Anya there ever was on Yahoo groups. I have by. run so. So <laughs> many text-based yeah. RPGs. No, no, it's still going. This is one yeah. of those, I want to join a game because I still need to sit down and write a couple hundred words a day, and replying to other people's tags is a lot easier than trying to sit down and work on ideas that may or may not be there for my original stuff, and then getting things going in RPs. Like, oh, okay, now I can work on my life. I've run probably, oh my god. I think I have started or helped run probably seven or eight games mm. over the course of the past ten years or so because I have been in Live Journal and then Dream with RP for over a decade. <laughs> and yeah. I've made some really, really great friends that way. And that was the interesting thing to me because, like, as a kid, I was sort of, like, I had friends and I had my brother. Like, my brother and I are very close. But there were, that was always a different outlet and, like, more people. Because nobody was really that into Buffy, like, where I grew up. I mean, because I grew up in the Bible Belt and there were actually kids who weren't allowed to hang out with me because I was that into Buffy. And then, and then dabbled a little bit in witchcraft, whatever. You know, burned down Mazios. Um, never <laughs> proved that. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, when like, you admit these things in an audio media format, they become much easier to prove. Yeah, well, there is, like, I still, I think I did it with witchcraft. Like, so this is not that, like, it could have really not been me. Like, I'll admit that, like, it's pretty insane. But in my mind, I burned down Nazios, like, with witchcraft. That's amazing and terrifying. Yeah. I can't say I've ever done anything like that in my life. Like, yeah, I, I didn't really Yeah, I got really being... into the RPG. Yeah. <laughs> Willow. And LARPing. No, I I didn't really start being able to go online until I went to college because it was, it was one of those things where, okay, you can go online, but only do this or you need permission or the computer is in my parents' room or whatever. And my parents definitely, well, (laughs) I had overprotective parents (laughs) and there's nothing wrong with that. It wasn't like they never let us do anything ever. Oh my God. It was just the internet is a wild and crazy place, and there were definitely horror stories about, you know, ASL and Yahoo Chats. Like, oh, well, I say I'm 15, but really I'm a 35 year old man that you catfishing. Yeah, luckily, and my, my dad. About that. Yeah, luckily, my dad had shown me Strangeland and a lot of other inappropriate movies. And Strangeland is where, <laughs> if you guys have never seen this, and you really should show this to your children, it'll scar them, but they'll never talk to strangers online. <laughs> Um, because, yeah, Dee Snyder in this movie lures, um, girls in and, like, tortures and rapes and murders them. So, yeah, I was like, I'm not gonna talk to strangers online. And also, I saw that shit on Degrassi. The Canadian shows know how to do it, people. Yeah. Yeah. So, Degrassi actually probably is a more appropriate thing to show your kids. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Whereas I just, I chatted with people online, but it was never, it was never my real name. It was, if I gave them a location, it was, I'm in this state. It's not like, I live, this is my address. It was, mm-hmm. well, I'm in Colorado. What part of Colorado? Yeah. Colorado. Yeah. It's like, that's a big state. High altitude. Whatever, it's fine. And like I said, I made a lot, I really started talking with other people online when I got into role play. When I got into these live journal RPGs. My my first one, well, this is going to become the bright side of RP real fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> My first one was one that an IRL friend was in called Paijiao, and it was Kingdom Hearts based and multi fandom, which was you can pr- you can bring in any character from anything, like go. And so I wound up in that one and wound up making friends with people that I am still friends with today. I was just playing Overwatch with one of them last night. We've been friends for good lord, Daisy Chain was ten years ago this year, so probably twelve years. Oh wow! Give or take twelve, thirteen years. Yeah, no, the, and I will always remember Daisy Chain because Cloverfield came out on 118.08, and that is just burned into my brain. And Daisy Chain was the biggest game that I think I've ever run. It was one of those lightning-in-a-bottle things that will never happen again, but was fantastic for the time. Because Cloverfield had just come out. That big, oh my god, what's the monster? No one knows what the monster is. And I went to see the movie with a friend that I'd met from that online Kingdom Hearts community and that I lied through my teeth about how I met them when my mom found out. Like, how'd you meet them? Oh, they're at the same college I'm at. Which was true. But that's not how I met them. I met them by talking about Kingdom Hearts because my friends are my power, yo. And that is where I made a bunch of friends. So we, we went to go see it. It scared the hell out of me because I'm a wuss and I was not expecting the parasites in the subways that mm-hmm. I was not okay with that scene. It was great. I was not okay. 
And then I wound up knee deep and sinking into viral marketing around the movie because I had a work shift the next day. It was a Saturday and I was answering phones, which means I was there for eight hours alone. No one else was there. Oh, and wow. I had a computer. So it was like, all right, I can do whatever as long as the phones get answered and I don't do anything stupid on the college Wi-Fi network, which I didn't. I yeah. mean, there's, they don't ask you for much, so don't screw it up, you know? Yeah, I know. I loved my work-study job at college. That's how I watched all of Veronica Mars when Netflix first came out. Because yep. there wasn't, I mean, as long as you did the stuff as it came in, which wasn't very often because oh, it was yeah. sociology, and it's like, okay, well, you can just do whatever you want. All right. Oh, yeah, and I did, I did the late shifts and the weekend shifts at Campus Operator is what they called it. We were answering the phones. And so everyone left at 6, and I'm there till midnight. It's like, all right, let me just turn on this video, and I'll take the headphones off, and I'll put them back on if I need them. But the only people who call after 6 are students who've been locked out of their dorms and want public safety to come let them in. So it's just like, yeah. this is good, this is fine, whatever. But I, I wound up... I, found out from a post on a person I was following on LiveJournal that there was a bunch of viral marketing surrounding Cloverfield, which I had no idea. So I went down that rabbit hole for the next three or four hours. <laughs> and then by the time a friend who lived in New York and that I'd met through a different game messaged me and said, hey, have you seen Cloverfield? I was like, oh my God, yes. And there's this, and there's this, and there's this other thing. And did you see the satellite at the end? And she's like, well, I was thinking of making a game based on mm -hmm. that, and I think you just gave us the premise. And so two weeks later, which is not a lot of turnaround time for setting up one of these, we started Project Daisy Chain, which wound up being multi-fandom, bringing in characters. They are now trapped in New York with this monster, trying to figure things out. And we went deep into the viral marketing, like, oh, the Tagarado Corporation is behind this, and oh, Slusher, and this and that and the other, and it wound up with this big sprawling plot. It was, I think, one of the first games on LiveJournal to have a planned end to the story because a lot mm. of them were just like, join in, just keep going. If there's a plot, it's going to be a plot for a long time. And we were like, well, this is a giant evil corporation doing dimension hopping and weird science and all sorts of other fun things. They're going to have an eventual end game, especially if these characters keep screwing up their plans, which they did. God bless our player base. They were so, so good at being like, well, what if I do this? Shoot, we didn't think of that. I mean, we can't tell them, no, it's a great idea, but oh, yeah. that's going to heck up our plans. Because um, RPGs, sure. yeah, RPGs are almost like improv. It is yes and. Oh, like, yeah. you have to yes and. <laughs> I mean, well, and sometimes you yeah. know and. Like, yeah. no, that's against the rules. No, your yeah. character cannot find a copy of the Cloverfield tape. I know you asked my co-mod and then asked me after she told you no. Come on. Come on. Mom and dad do talk. So we, I think the bit that exemplified that the most was there was a second monster that was underground. And we wound up with three by the time the game was over because fun scientific science plots. And we had a person playing Toph from Avatar The Last Airbender who, for those unfamiliar, is blind but is an earthbender and so is able to read vibrations in the earth to the point where she can feel people's heartbeats and know that they're lying. Like, all sorts of fun stuff. It's great. And so she, she messaged us. She's like, well, she's there. Yeah, we know she's part of this plot. Um, does she see anything underground? And we all went, oh, shit. Yeah, no, we, we, we can't tell her no. 
because her cannon powers do encompass this, but uh, we were definitely hiding that giant monster for a later date. Well, I guess that plot's been moved up. Uh, yeah, this is what she sees. And so the next tag was, uh, guys, there's a giant monster right under us. What? Mm. And watching that explode, and it just... Not everyone in that game was perfect, and there were some people who were straight-up troublemakers. But we had such a good time. And there are so many people that I made friends with them in that game. And they brought in a character that I wasn't familiar with. And I was like, oh, oh, who's that? Oh, what are they from? Oh, what's it about? Which is the easiest way to get someone else in a fandom when you're an RP is, oh, you're not familiar with my fandom? Here. Mm-hmm. And just dropping it in their lap and being like, I'm glad you enjoyed interacting with this character. This is the bits that feature them, but you really should watch the whole thing. Like, I was playing a lot of um, Agent Washington from Red vs. Blue, who doesn't show up till season six. So it's a lot of, oh yeah, you want to watch Red vs. Blue? Great, I'll watch it with you. It's ten seasons right now, so we're going to start at the beginning. And I got so many people into Red vs. Blue that way. Yeah, see, I didn't even realize how long that show had been on. Like, because I'm only familiar with that show because of you and Megan. (laughs) It's on season 16 right now. Oh, wow. Rooster Teeth has hit its 15th anniversary as a company. Talk about the bright side of fandom. That's the yeah. reason they're around. Well, yeah, and Rooster Teeth just um, auctioned Rob uh, McElhaney from uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, yeah. who's just yeah. great. His uh, new cartoon, Spike Face, which sounds awesome. And then there's a movie they're doing, um, Blood Feast with, or Blood Fest. Blood, Blood Fest. Fest. Uh, Blood Feast is a movie my friend is in. Uh, oh. Blood Fest with uh, Zachary Levi. So I'm pretty excited about what they have coming up. Like, Oh, you know, yeah. No, yeah, they just love bigger, their horror yeah. stuff. Uh, you might actually enjoy yeah. Day 5. Ooh, Day 5. I want to look that up. It's a thing that it's, I hesitate to call it a miniseries, but I think we're at about 10, 12 hour long episodes. And it's essentially the apocalypse happens one night when everyone is asleep. And people who fall asleep don't wake up again. Oh. Like they die in their sleep. And so you have a I group that's of nice. <laughs> like so you have a group of survivors. One of them no. is just, you know, a kid who was pulling an all-nighter, and one of them is a junkie who was on a very long trip and was therefore <laughs> up all night. Why and one I of them is because it's a crazy yeah. cast. One of them is a red eye pilot. One oh, of them yeah. is a night shift nurse. Yeah. So it's one, you can't sleep. And sleep deprivation hecks up your body like none other. And two, what happened? What's causing this? Can we stop it? And they went from that premise to create this sprawling world and this incredible plot. Like, I... It's so good. It is such a good show. And very little of it is straight up in-your-face horror. It's a lot more psychological. You see a lot of, this is how people are handling it. You see a lot, it's, it's really incredible just to see the different ways that people deal with staying awake. There's a guy who figures out that pain helps keep him awake, and it drives him a little crazy, but that's how he tries to function. There's a party going on with ridiculous amounts mm-hmm. of drugs and whatnot because, well, the world is ending anyway, yeah. so we might as well do this. It's Stay like, awake this as long is the as we end. Can, Let's then... do all the drugs. <laughs> yeah. Well, the drugs yeah. keep you awake. Exactly. Methamphetamines keep you awake. That's actually would have been my first thought. It's like, all right, we can't go to sleep or we'll die. Where's meth? <laughs> <laughs> but then you start yeah. building up a tolerance. Exactly. To it and and then you have to keep, working. keep doing more and more meth. 
Not something I'd recommend. Yeah. Not something I'd recommend. I wouldn't recommend it unless we're at this, like, in this fantasy scenario. Because it reminded me of Crank, the Jason Statham movie that there's even (laughs) two of. And the second one's even better than the first one. Because he basically just has to keep his heart running. So he does a lot of things like that. (laughs) Including, like, shocking himself with a dog collar. Oh, no. That's, like, my favorite scene. But, yeah. I think you would enjoy Day 5. And there's, yeah, there's so much Rooster Teeth does. They're very involved with their fandom. They're, they're very much into it. And the fandom is very involved with them. There's, uh, oh, my brain's not working. <laughs> like, how to talk about the Rooster Boring Teeth boo. fandom and <laughs> boil this down. Like, there is no way to boil down the Rooster Teeth fandom. Because this is one of those symbiotic relationships where everything just keeps building. Because this is a company that started with four guys getting footage on Halo multiplayer because they wanted to make a joke about what the Warthog looked like. The Mm -hmm. Warthog being like this armored Jeep type vehicle. And that was the long and short of it. That was how they started was, we just want to do a couple of five minute episodes so we can make a couple of jokes about military life and a couple of jokes about what this vehicle actually looks like. And then it just spiraled from there. We added new characters. We added a plot. We took a hard left turn into things actually being serious business. Added more characters. Added more plot. There's layers. There's there's time travel, which is an interesting thing. Time and then travel not makes time tra- everything better. Well, and then there's not time travel because it turns out that the characters were just idiots who'd been tricked. But now there actually is time travel. So it's like, I don't... What the hell is going on with this show? It's It's wonderful. And I love it, but it's definitely one of those things, it's like, we started with one character asking the other, you ever wonder why we're here? And the second character goes on this rant about, why are we here? Is there a higher power with some greater plan? Or is this just, I don't know, it keeps me up at night. No, no, no. Why are we here? Why are we at this base? What's all that stuff about God? Yeah. I just want to know why we were... Like, we have a base at the end of this canyon because they have a base at the end of that canyon. And they have a base at the end of that canyon because we have a base at this end of the canyon. And if one of us left, the other one would have two bases. There's no point. Why are we here? <laughs> and that's the conversation that starts off this series that becomes this ridiculous, wonderful, sprawling space drama epic. And it's just incredible because you have the fans who were like, oh, I really like the Blood Gulch seasons, the seasons one through five, where it was just kind of jokes and there weren't a lot of consequences. And it was just, you know, how can we make you laugh? And there was a plot, but the plot was super weird. And then there are people like me who are like, give me the, give me season six through eight. Give me the, we grew a plot. Things go crazy. There's actual serious business. There's consequences. And we fit these ridiculous jokey characters into this situation extremely well and then there's everyone has a different favorite arc i like the chorus i like chorus i like recreation i like the well i don't know very many people whose seasons nine and ten are their favorite arcs because they were flashback seasons and we got a lot of really great information and a lot of pacing issues 
So <laughs> it's, it's it's like Arrow things. all over again. Oh, no one liked the flashbacks. Now we're done. All right. Oh no, I will watch seasons nine and ten of Red versus Blue before oh. I sit because for one, seasons nine and ten of Red versus Blue is the equivalent to about three and a half episodes of Arrow okay. in terms of runtime, because the longest Red versus Blue season out there tops off at three hours. Oh, okay. The longest one. Yeah. So if you want to sit down and do seasons one through sixteen, it'll take you a weekend. Depending on how late you watch every night and whether oh, you do yeah. things all in a row. Like, it doesn't take you long to start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start and catch up with the rest of the show. If you want to sit down and watch an entire season of Arrow and see how they handle those flashbacks, that's an investment. Yep. That's different. So, yeah, just... And there's all sorts of different fans for this show. I'm in it for this. I'm in it for this. I'm red team. I'm blue team. I like the freelancers. I like the Mercs. And God bless the people who love the Mercs. They are some of the most creative, hilarious people. Because their favorite characters are terrifying villains. But, oh my God, they're so aware of it. Yeah, because I'm like Mercs. I think of the Merc with the mouth, Deadpool. Like, you know, are they fun villains like, like Deadpool? Felix would be Deadpool without the healing factor and not nearly as fun. Like... Deadpool has a heart. Deadpool yeah. gives a shit. Felix is 110% out for himself. He is a card-carrying sociopath. And he kills people because it's fun. And because it <laughs> gives him a sense of power. He likes to be in control of everything. And he's a smartass, and it's fun to watch him go. But between him and Deadpool... Oh, I'd give it to Deadpool. Yeah. Partially because of the healing factor and partially because Deadpool just doesn't care. All right. So, yeah, where were we? Uh, Felix versus Deadpool. Yeah. Which, yeah, no, Bunnies is still definitely on. Especially since we've got this new Ryan Reynolds Deadpool. Yeah. I still haven't seen Deadpool 2, which I realize is something of a sin, but I had just flown in from Orlando the day that it premiered. So it's like... I can't think, and I'm four hours off of time, so I'll see it at some point. Yeah, because, like, we thought you were going to get to go, because we didn't go till like, 10 p.m., and I then your flight back. was delayed. And... <laughs> I did not get back from LAX. I got home at, like, 10, 20, 10, 30. And then when 11.30 rolled around, I was so tired. I didn't even... I was planning on doing dinner and a few other things, and I just sacked out completely because I just could not. So, yeah. But yeah. I have discovered... That bribing your flight attendants is a really good way to go. Yeah. Because I, I was flying American. And I'd heard a while ago, like, you know, bring the flight attendants something nice. Bring them chocolate. Bring them whatever. And I'm like, all right, well, you know, I tried it once. It didn't work out as well. But I'm going to try it again. I'm here. I have a small bag of Godiva truffles, whatever. And I get on the flight going to Orlando and give it to the flight attendant. Like, this is for you guys. I know you work really hard. It's a five-hour flight. And being a flight attendant is customer service, but you can't escape. Yeah. So, you know, it ain't easy. And they moved me They moved me from, like, the back row, sitting next to a person with a baby and another person. So we were, we were cozy. Yeah. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with people with babies on airplanes. Like, it's a thing. It happens. We were super cozy. And she's like, there's a row, like, right behind the exit row that's completely empty. Here, I'll take you up there. So I had a whole row to myself. They brought me food. Yeah. Like... Would you like any complimentary food from the thing? Like, the cheese platter looks good. Sure, here you go. Thanks again for the chocolate. Did the same thing on the way back. Like, here's a little bag of truffles. Here you guys go. 
And that was after it had been delayed for an hour because they had to do maintenance in yeah. Chicago before they could even send the plane our way. So I'm sure the crew was expecting to deal with all sorts of very unhappy yeah. people. Like, it's delayed again. It's going to be late. And I'm like, here's some chocolate. I know things are probably going to be pretty difficult right now. So this is for you guys. It was a full flight, so I didn't get moved. But same offer of food. Oh, and wow. when I was, like, eating my little cheese platter being happy, the flight attendant comes by and goes, you want some wine? Oh, like, I'm not much of a wine drinker, but I appreciate it. Thank you. So, <laughs> yeah, no. Be good to your flight attendants. Sometimes things happen and sometimes they don't, but either which way, be good to your flight attendants. Yeah, I got um, free good snacks on Southwest for laughing at the guy's jokes when he would get on and I was like, dude, I, I appreciate the fact that you don't hate your life. Like, this is actually way better that you're making jokes and like... And that's what I'll say is I know people give Spirit Airlines a lot of shit. I mean, because it, it is a bargain airline and they tell you everything. So I feel like a lot of Spirit's hate is like unreasonable. But yeah, like oftentimes their flight attendants are the nicest people. And, and, and it's like, come on, yeah. people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they're having a good time. Well, and I, I won't fly Frontier if given the choice because Frontier is also a bargain airline, which I normally don't care but they charge you to put anything in the carry-on and they have a bar underneath the seat so that instead of having like a good 10 or so inches under the seat, you have like four or five. Mm -hmm. So you can't fit a backpack under the seat. All the stuff that they're like, put your suitcase in the overhead and if your laptop or purse or backpack will fit under the seat, please put it under the seat. You literally can't for Frontier. Oh, wow. And I just kind of had this moment of, like, no, I'm I'm really good at fitting everything under the seat. It's fine. What do you mean it won't fit? And so I avoid them because I can't... My, my usual is just like, all right, throw one thing in the carry-on, throw the other thing under there. I am good to go. Mm. What do you mean? I, what do you mean it costs me $45 to put something in the carry-on space? As opposed to 50 if I check it. Like, what? Yeah. So, yeah. So, usually I have no problem with bargain airlines, but I don't like Frontier's corporate practices when it comes to storage space on the plane and that yeah. has nothing to do with the flight attendants they're doing their best yeah and that's the thing is like that's a little extra layer of evil because it's like okay mm -hmm. like on spirit you can bring a pretty large personal item which you don't get charged for i mean yeah. it's like yeah and as i say whenever i've dealt with them everyone has always been pleasant i'm like how did this become like a, a thing on airlines what is this seinfeld and like <laughs> i was like oh wait <laughs> like that's funny well it's one of those things where a happy person tells one other person yeah. an angry person tells 10 yeah and the internet has taken that and just magnified it and so there are some things that need to be stopped. There have definitely been some issues with some airlines that are like, no, this needed to be brought to light because this practice is unacceptable. But sometimes it's just like, I don't like that the flight attendant did this, so I'm going to put them on blast. And then you read that and go, that was the flight attendant's job. Yeah. And they were making sure that things were safe. <sighs> yeah, you know, th that sort of goes back to like the... the the dark side of the internet and everything is everybody feels that they have a voice now and there's part of that 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 is good people like having a voice is a good thing except for the fact that i think it was cat grant on supergirl that said millennials don't understand you have to earn your voice and that was such a profound statement and i'm a millennial and you're a millennial but like i tend yeah. to agree with that because we know a lot of people who feel that they're an authority without any education, without any research, without any work. 
And that's a sad fact of our generation. But it's also a sad fact of baby boomers, too. Sorry. Yeah. Like, it's not like this is new. And that's what I tell people. I'm like, it's not a millennial thing. It is a thing that the that is a bad personality trait that people got by basically probably being told all their life that they knew, you know, they didn't have to work, they didn't have to earn it, that they were just special. Like, Well, this is a more easily accessible yeah. thing now because we have the internet, because we have the 24-hour news cycle, which is, I think, a problem in and of itself. But, you know, all, all that fun stuff, drama sells, you just, yeah, all of that. But there, and again, sometimes you see that in fandom with, the, yeah. this is the best and you're wrong, or this is whatever, and that's, in real life and in fandom, it helps to be able to sit back and be like, okay, we can disagree on this, but there's a difference between disagreeing on fundamental human rights yeah. and disagreeing on, well, I think this character should date this other character instead of that other character. Like, you learn to pick your battles, you learn to go, okay, well, I don't appreciate that and that's not for me, so you have fun and I'll just be over here. Like, you learn what's really worth fighting for and yeah. your ship preferences aren't it yeah and um you know actually how we met i believe was on the arrow after show and i know we brought that up earlier but speaking of ship preferences i mean that fandom can be pretty toxic when it comes to following the comics which i would i was a big fan of the black canary character the green arrow comics that was why going into the show i was initially disappointed and i was that sort of bad fan of like this is but because i wasn't giving it a chance but once i finally gave this show a chance i knew why they did what they did with the black canary situation versus like felicity and things like that and i'm like oh and felicity is awesome they have way more chemistry this makes sense but there's still fans that to this day will not accept this character because this didn't happen in the comics. And it's well, crazy. And I feel like at that, again, this is where we go back to, you just kind of got to go, I prefer yeah. this, so I will be over here with these other people that preferred this, and we can talk about how we preferred this. You prefer that, so you have fun in your space where you talk about how you preferred that, and we don't really need to come to blows over this. And I... Yeah. I'm, I'm name dropping, and I'm sure everyone has this fandom in their head where they're like, oh, God, yeah, I totally know those people. Yeah. And I'm going to name drop the one that some of you are probably thinking of, Voltron. <laughs> the Voltron fandom, God bless it. Some of the fandom is incredible. A good chunk of the fandom are wonderful, wonderful human beings, some of the best human beings <laughs> I've met. That are super into, well, let's talk about this. Well, what do you think about this? We're, we're into season six, and because Netflix has been divvying up the seasons, it's more like season four-ish at this point, just given the number of episodes. And there's so much going on. We had a huge plot upheaval last season. We have conspiracies. We have mysteries that we've had from day one that haven't been solved. We have all sorts of fun stuff. And so there's a good contingency of fandom that's just like, Let's talk about that. Oh my god, we just met this new character. What did you think of this? What's your theory on this thing? Is this actually Shiro? Is it a clone? Do we have a bunch of clone Shiros? Is the real one even alive anymore? Like, there's a rabbit hole of Shiro theories, and so many of them are so good. And people are just having a blast saying, oh yeah, well, I think it's this. Well, I think it's this. Did you see this person's character development here? I was not expecting that, but it's a great way to go. Like, there's a whole, there's a contingency in this fandom that just is into it. 
and understands the whole agree to disagree, etc. And then there's the half of the fandom that's like, this is my ship and you guys are wrong. And it's awful. It is. I can't say it's the single worst thing I've ever seen because I lived through Hitalia and My Little Pony and I avoided Supernatural. Oh, Supernatural is like the best show on television, guys. But the fandom. Yeah, well, I like, (laughs) I like tend to ignore a lot of that, like, and I love that they, like, make fun of, like, the ships, like, especially with Dean and Castiel, because, like, I'm... You know we're brothers, right? Yeah, like, (laughs) yeah, we're brothers, that's sick. (laughs) Like, that's even brought up when they, like, discuss slash... Um, fan fiction with the book Supernatural in the show. It's actually one of the best episodes. Well, there's one thing to be like, all right, I ship these characters. Yeah. And it's another thing to approach the actors and say, oh, yeah. this is canon, right? Or you're wrong if you don't think this. Or, oh, yeah. hey, tell me. There's like, And that's kind of an interesting thing with modern fandom is so many of the creators and the people who work on the shows, the books, the movies, yeah. whatever, are on social media. Yeah. And a lot of people don't seem to understand that there is a turnaround time for this. And I keep going back to Voltron fandom yeah. because this is what I'm neck deep and sinking in. And this is what sometimes well, I deal I mean, with. There's a reason I don't really talk about the soaps hardly anymore except for <laughs> with people. Because soap Twitter, y'all crazy. And, yeah. and, and it is like soap fans are the best and the worst. Like that's really what I can say about them. Because you have some like, and I'm sure you feel the same way about Voltron. Is like the fact that these things are still going when so much has gone away, or like with Voltron, which is a show that, as you say, is on Netflix, or things that aren't, say, in the big zeitgeist, like an Arrow or a Supernatural or something. You see the best and the worst of people, though, because oh, yeah. people feel more attached to this thing because not everybody likes it, and so there's a level, and you know, even the people who write this soap are like so in love with a character who's god awful, and it's like. <laughs> It's very obvious that you love this character, and it may have to do with the actor. I don't know. I try not to blame actors because, you know, who knows why there's this favor towards this one character. <laughs> but it's it's so badly it's written. And, and it's just like, I love the groups of fans that will kind of at least say that. They're like, yeah, what you see in the other positives of the show. But then there's other people that it's like, very into this and don't see anything wrong with the behavior and I'm like this is something that maybe you need to see a therapist about because I get this is a tv show but not acknowledging that this is wrong is a big deal yeah and this I kind of go back to versus blue and people who like the mercs like the people who like them unabashedly are kind of like you do understand that they committed genocide right yeah, and if the you're people like, they're evil, like, but they're interesting. Like, I don't people, mind those people. Oh, no. The, I, I yeah. the best description I've seen of the two of them, because Felix is, you know, short and willowy and is a knife person, and Locus is big and built like a fucking refrigerator and is more of a gun person. And so I've seen them described as a brick shit house made of brick shit houses and a single angry pipe cleaner. And it is <laughs> the best description that I have ever seen. And it's super accurate. But it's people like that who are like, Oh, yeah, no, these characters are horrible, horrible human beings, and I am having the time of my life exploring these characters who are horrible, horrible human beings. Mm-hmm. It's like when you look at the MCU and you have Loki yeah. fans. You have people who are like, Loki did nothing wrong. I'm like, oh, you are incorrect. <laughs> and you have people who are like, Loki is a garbage fire trash child, and I love him despite that. And like, you, you get it. 
Yeah, if you're like, I... You keep talking. I understand their point of view, and I like this character despite their flaws. That is fine. But then, as we say, the people are like, they did nothing wrong. It's like, hold the phone. (laughs) Like, they did plenty wrong. I keep going back to, they committed genocide. Yeah. Guys, no. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... But the people who were just like, oh no, they're awful, horrible human beings... And I am enjoying the hell out of this. Yeah, Let's talk about the weird dysfunctional relationship they have. I'm like, oh yeah. Yeah, often those that. characters are the most interesting and we like them. But yeah, as we say, in a healthy way of like, oh, I find them the most interesting and I want to watch what they do. Not, yeah. I condone their violent acts. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I, again, my, my favorite character in the series yeah. is Wash. And that poor man is so, so messed up. And spent the first, some of the seasons that he was introduced in being the villain. And you can see why. And you can see, like, this is where he started making these decisions. And this is why. And this is what pushed him over the edge. Doesn't make any of it right. Oh, my God. And he's actually kind of a terrible villain. Not like, no. oh, God, what a terrible person. But like, oh, honey, you are bad at this. <laughs> and it's really, really fun to watch. But that doesn't excuse any of it. Sorry, and that is fun to watch as well. Oh, yeah, it's She's like, yeah. distracting me. So, no, like, that's a really great She's never that's played in shot. these little curtains at all. And I'm like, kitty. Oh, I'm like a terrible podcaster. I'm like, my cat's doing something cute. I have to take a picture. No, that's fine. Just <laughs> make sure that when you post this episode, you post the picture on the Twitter. I know. It's like, yeah, this is yeah. what she was doing. I just wanted to make sure that yeah. she wasn't going to start, like, kneading my sweater, because that's an Elhoffer, and those are... Yeah. They're wonderful. I love Elhoffer pieces. They're expensive. But yeah. they're so great. Like, maybe you don't do that. She doesn't normally do that, so... Okay. But who knows? She I never know. ever get in the curtains, either. You, you never know with cats. You're like, yeah. I understand my cat. And then they do something new, and you're like, what the hell just happened? Well, do you do that. The you bright, like to sit there, though. The bright side of cats. Yeah, I could do yeah. a lot of podcasts on that, but I try to keep my crazy cat lady stuff to a minimum, but it's hard, because Banky's pretty cute. Oh, yeah. I'm super mm-hmm. adorable. I have Junior a dog, kitties. too, so I'm not that weird. And the dog is often in the podcast. She is always napping underneath. See, I have a cat, and the cat is the weirdo. Yeah. Like, those of you who watch my streams and whatnot, you've seen Winter. She's <laughs> nuts. I love her. She's nuts. Well, yeah. Yeah, the bright side of cats is that they exist. Yep. And they're wonderful, and we love them. Mostly. Yeah. Mostly. But yeah, fandom. A very, yeah. very good way to approach fandom is... This is my understanding of the situation. So it's not, this is this and you're wrong. It's, this is how I take it. This is why I like this thing. This is this thing. And it's impossible to look at other people's ships, theories, favorite characters, etc. And be like, okay, no, I totally get why you like that. I don't appreciate that. But I totally get why this is your favorite season or why you ship these people or why you didn't like this episode that I thought was absolutely hilarious or just... Yeah. Yeah, and you can still get along with people and then sometimes, you know, if it's an extremely negative conversation, you can remove yourself from it. And I've done that before. I don't understand why there is this need for certain people to want to argue and really get into stuff where you know there's not going to be... A resolution. It's like, the if you want to discuss, right. yeah, yeah, and it's like, that doesn't really, that doesn't make you friends, guys. Like, I disagree with a lot of my friends on certain things, but it's like, 
that's why you either don't bring it up or if you bring it up in like a way of like, oh, let's, I want to know why you feel differently than me. Like yeah. that's, I come out of a curious place and I feel like that's a healthy thing to be like, oh, well, why do you feel that way? Because that's interesting. I don't, I'm not going to change my opinion probably, but it does give me a different perspective and that's what's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. I didn't like this book at all. What did yeah. you see in it? Or I'm sorry you didn't appreciate that. That was the funniest thing I've ever yeah. seen in my life. Like, let's. Let's talk about it. Let's let's figure this out. Like I love cinema sins. I think it's hysterical. Why don't you like it? Like, yeah. What what gets to you about it? Because cinema sins is definitely one of those love it or hate it things. Yeah. I have never met anyone who is lukewarm on cinema sins, and I love them. I think they're hysterical. But even then, sometimes I have to be like, okay, they just did a video for this movie, and I really liked this movie. So I think I just need to not watch this video because I think I'll be upset by it. So I'm just gonna chill over here and. Wait for the next one. And sometimes that's what you need to do. Sometimes you need to curate your fandom experience. Because they're... And I, again, I keep coming back to this ship thing because it's, it's pervasive. And it's yeah. almost like a purity culture. Like, if for some reason your ship is wrong, that means that you're wrong and bad as a person. Which is completely incorrect. I say as I gesture to really enjoying talking about Locus and Felix and yeah. how completely hecked up they are, but what interesting characters they are. Like, you can talk about this kind of thing. You can enjoy this kind of thing. You can enjoy messed up things in fiction. As long as you don't try to carry those messed up things over into your everyday life. Yeah, because this is fiction, guys. These are just television shows. And yeah. there are parts of your daily life and yourself that you are relating to in these things or you wouldn't be liking them for sure. And so sometimes you can take things a little personally. I know, especially yeah. with certain people's hate of a certain arrow character. <laughs> it does start to become personal. Um, but yeah, you just have to realize those people who don't like them are just basic bitches and they don't get it. <laughs> like, <laughs> Or there are people who don't yet understand that it is okay to enjoy weird, messed up things in fiction and not carry it over into your everyday yeah. life and not have it be a judgment of you as a person. I mean, yeah. look at the Saw movies. The Saw movies, <laughs> the Saw movies gave us torture porn yeah. as a genre and made money hand over fist. People went to see them. People liked them. And there's nothing wrong with liking the Saw movies. I'm not a fan. I cannot handle torture porn. I can't even do Tarantino movies. Like, I know where Hostel's I stand. Hostel's not your jam? Oh, yeah. of course not. <laughs> and for the people who like it, that's fine. Yeah. Liking I know. I Saw, love that garbage. Yeah. I don't, liking Saw doesn't yeah. make you a serial no. killer. It doesn't make you a sociopath. Liking true crime doesn't make you a criminal. Like It's the you, best. Yeah. Oh, I love my favorite murder. So much. But it, it's one of those things where... There are some people who maybe this is their first fandom experience or they're young or it's been very insular for them until they got on the internet and you don't quite know how to act. And this this is going back to it helped to have the moderated community so you could go in, so you could lurk, so you could kind of see what the culture was like before jumping in. Whereas Tumblr is very much, here's the deep end, bye! Or Twitter especially, because oh, yeah. I'll bring up Twitter, you know, because I constantly get a lot of hate for certain, you know, for, for me shipping caramel, for Christ's sakes, even though that's what the fucking show does, <laughs> but God forbid. <laughs> um, sorry, I hate Supergirl fans sometimes. Again, it's another, you love them or you hate them. Yeah. Well, it's, there's, there, 
you don't know the tune for it, but there's this little song on YouTube, and it just goes, it's okay to not like things, but yeah. don't be a dick about the things you don't like. Yeah. And that's fandom experience in a nutshell, and you can do so, so many great things with fans who understand that liking something that's not acceptable in real life, or would be considered weird in real life, and I'm yeah. air-quoting that very heavily doesn't make you a bad person, isn't a judge of your character, doesn't mean, like, okay, my favorite character, everyone loved Dexter. Oh, yeah. Everyone I have a Dexter, Dexter action figure, and my oh, yeah. mom calls me Dexter. You can That's... adore Dexter. That doesn't mean that you're a serial killer in real life. That doesn't mean that you think murder is okay in real life. It means that you enjoyed this fictional story about a fictional character, and it's Okay. Fictional characters. I'm doing the Ben Affleck from uh, Jay and Silent Bob since this is a podcast and I realize no one can see me, but yeah. yeah. Um. <laughs> or like, again, going back to true crime. Yeah. I love my favorite murder. Oh my god. I don't think murder is okay. Yeah. Like, homicide is still illegal. Let's not do the thing. And I can not be okay, fast- but it's interesting. Yeah. yeah. I can be fascinated by yeah. these stories and more to the point, I can enjoy the hell out of hearing these two particular women tell them. Because I'm not really into true crime so much as I'm into my favorite murder. And that's okay. I don't have to know everything about true crime in order to be a murderino or in order to be a fan of this. Like, it's okay to not know everything. It's okay to be into things that would be weird or unacceptable or illegal in real life. Like, it's okay to enjoy that in your fiction. It's okay to have differing opinions from your friends. It's okay to disagree. It's okay to like a ship that's like, well, this is a weird power dynamic, or, well, this is interesting. Like, it's okay to enjoy these things. When it comes to the stuff that's more problematic, it can require the understanding of, oh, I really enjoy this relationship. I understand that it is completely hecked up, but I enjoy it. Like, you do need that level of self-awareness, because then sometimes you get into well, I enjoy Fifty Shades of Grey, and I enjoy this main relationship. I'm like, you realize that there's some really messed up stuff that is essentially domestic abuse, right? No, there isn't. Well, we need to talk. Well, and, you know, I don't mean to be a dick, you know, but, like, Fifty Shades of Grey is an example of something that, if it were written by somebody who actually understood the subject BDSM. matter, it, oh, yeah. it would be a little bit different. But because it was written by somebody who had no knowledge of this um, subculture, it does come off as really, you know, problematic. When in reality, there are plenty of people that are, you know, consenting adults in situations yeah. like that, that, that have true loving relationships and that's something that I feel like the book and certainly the movies don't convey very well because they, you know, again, I'm not trying to be a dick, but that's not something I consider well written. I mean, it, oh, yeah, it no. was essentially fan fiction and that's not knocking fan fiction because there is good writing in fan fiction. But I mean, this is somebody who got lucky. We, um, we both just yeah. owned up to being well into fandom RP for yeah. a long time. There, yeah. Neither of us are knocking fan fiction. Yeah. That's how a lot of writers get their start. And oh, again, yeah. there's nothing wrong with fan fiction either. It doesn't make you lesser. I have definitely read extremely long novel length fics that are better than some novels that I've been subjected to. So yeah. you know what? Do it. Have fun. Don't be ashamed of it. Just there's there's that understanding where if you are going to go into material like that, there's nothing problematic about BDSM. 
there's definitely things where, oh, it's BDSM. Actually, no, the way that it's written and the way that this person is acting, it's abuse. No, no, yeah. no it's BDSM. It's fine. Do you want to talk to someone who knows a little more about the subject than you do? Like, the, there is that issue with someone tells you that there is an issue with this. Like, do you understand that what you are conveying condones abuse, condones this, condones that? And if it's like, yes, that's the point of the story, I'm well aware, and then there's more coming where this other thing occurs, okay, cool. Yeah. But when you get to that level, the, the E.L. James level of, no, 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 it's not abusive. It weirds me out when people say this story is about domestic abuse. And there's this lack of awareness despite people reaching out and trying to educate her and saying, actually, yeah. this is what the community is about. And depicting it this way is kind of harmful to many different people for many different yeah, reasons. Yeah, because the community doesn't support the novel or the films or anything like that. And that's something that... It is one of those things in fandom that if the community that you're trying to convey is not supportive, then maybe you are on the wrong track. And yeah. and, and again, you know, going back to you, you know, said earlier about people not knowing and it's okay not to know. But when it's not okay not to know is when you think you do know. And that research. All, yeah. Research is your friend talking with people who are willing to talk about it and live the lives because not everyone's going to want to talk about their experience. And there are probably some people who are very, very tired of having to explain their existence day in and day out. Yeah. What's it like to be this kind of person? What's it like to be a lesbian? What's it like to be trans? What's it like to be this? I'm like, well, if they don't want to talk about their experience to you, that's fine. Yeah. You can do research. You can read memoirs. Uh, you can find someone who is willing to talk about that experience and answer those questions. Like, they don't owe it to you, but if they are willing to provide it, then absolutely take them up on that. It, it Do your research. It bothers me that, and too, this sort of explains why I had to take four fucking research classes by the end of, you know, of my education with a master's degree, is because so many people don't know how to research, and they don't think that they need to. But like Adam Carolla would say, hello, kitty. Not that. <laughs> like Adam Carolla um, would say, hello, kitty. <laughs> no, he'd say, hello, uh, Philly Cheesesteak, his dog. But um, he would say, it all leads to narcissism. And you know, all roads do lead to narcissism when it comes to that type of, you know, fan or writer or whoever we're talking about is like, you have to live under the assumption that you could be wrong or that this is just an opinion, this is just fun, or else you're just a narcissistic dick. Yeah. <laughs> if you're going to write about something that's outside your experience, yeah. research is really yeah. super your friend. It just is. And if someone comes to you and says, hey, this actually is my experience and uh, this was spot on, but this needs some work, you should maybe listen to the people who are living that experience yeah. because... They know more than you because yeah. they've lived, like, for the most part, they know more than you because they've done the thing. Yeah, that's why, uh, that reminds me of one of my favorite scenes in Parks and Rec, which is great that it's still my favorite because I was in, like, a terrible, like, um, class where I had to keep, everybody had to keep reading this script, and, and luckily this didn't ruin it for me with the casting director, but it's uh, Ron Swanson in uh, Parks and Rec, one of the greatest characters of all time. Oh, yeah. And he's in Home Depot. And this guy walks up, because actually Nick Offerman, the actor, even is a woodworker, and it was part of the character and everything. Mm -hmm. And this guy walks up, an employee, to help him. And he goes, I know more than you. And the guy just walks off. Like, everything's okay. Like, because 
in that moment, like, that is always what I think of whenever you really are an expert on a subject. And you almost, like, that guy um, who walked away knew in that moment he knew more than him and he did the right thing of, like, all right, leave me alone. But how many people would sit there and argue? <laughs> well, actually. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. Yeah, where does no. the mansplainer get his water? From the well, From the well actually. actually. <laughs> yeah. That's one of my favorite jokes. Yeah. Yes. It's, yeah. it's a thing. No. And it's, yeah. <laughs> Good Lord, we've definitely gone down a path here, haven't we? I know, like Fifty Shades, and then it got, I, like, started talking about Ron Swanson, and it's back to mansplaining, and... We all started with Kingdom Hearts. Yeah. <laughs> That's where we started. <laughs> got into fa- I really got into fandom when Kingdom yeah. Hearts happened. Yep. Yep. Bless that ridiculous game. I love <laughs> it so much. We're supposed to get KH3 this year. I know. I just watching that. That is one of the most unique and interesting fandoms I've been in ever. Because I think everyone has at least one of these things. A book or a movie or a show or a podcast or whatever. Where you you get into it, and it just kind of settles deep in your heartstrings and makes a nest and stays there. And so it can be years before the next installment comes out, if there is another one. But then you're just as excited as you were when the first one came out. And you still have all those emotions, and you still have all that enthusiasm. And you still really just want to, like, it is one of your favorite things ever. And for me, that's Kingdom Hearts. That's Red versus Blue. I feel I, Iron Druid does that. There's a book series called The Iron Druid, and it just kind of, oh, I'm so excited. The final book is coming out this year, and I'm terrified and excited, and it's going to be great. But Kingdom Hearts is 13 years old at this point. It's, God, it's 13 years old. It's older than that. It's been 13 years since Kingdom Hearts 2. Oh, mm. my God, this fandom. It's been around for it's been around since I was a freshman in high school, I believe. Yeah, it's been around for uh, a long ass time. A lot of my fandoms were around before I was even born. I mean, because I you know consider General Hospital to be a fandom, uh, Evil Dead. Like um, these are things that I've loved since. I mean, I was introduced to them by my parents. I mean, like and and it is interesting, and that was why maybe like I felt a bigger connection to Buffy initially, but. The more, again, going back to, like, you know, narcissistic dicks, I mean, Joss Whedon, I love what he has created, and I love a lot of his stuff, and believe me, there are plenty of people that I love that support him, and I totally get it, and made their careers, but there's so much about him that I do not like, and has it ruined the fandom for me? No. Because it's like, I can separate that, and that, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, going forward, like, can I still support his works knowing he's do the things, doing the things? Eh, probably not. Did I still really enjoy watching that and have good memories? Oh, yeah. absolutely. I have friends who are really super into Pirates of the Caribbean, and now we have Johnny Depp. And it's like, okay, can I, can I give him money going forward? No, absolutely not. Did I still really like that first Pirates of the Caribbean movie and the friends that I made through that? And the Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like, I still have those memories. I still enjoyed the product. It's it's just making that moral choice of, can I still give this person money in any capacity? And can I still buy a ticket for this movie knowing that 
if everyone boycotts it, it's going to be the people who worked on the set, on the script, doing the lighting, yeah, doing the... Yeah, people don't think about everybody in suffer. this, yeah. So it's, it's yeah. one of those things. Like, you can boycott... For media, it's difficult. Like, if it's a single book by a single author and you boycott the book... That's the, easy. That publishing yeah. company isn't going to go under. Like, that'll be fine. But for a movie, it's, oh, there's a single actor in this that's awful and problematic. I'm like, dude, I completely understand that. There are also hundreds and hundreds of people who punched up the script, who were your script doctors and your script um, supervisors. There are people who did the camera, the lights, the catering, the costuming, the makeup. All of the people who never make it in front of the camera. All of the people whose names never make it to the poster are the people who get hurt when a movie flops. Yeah, because I'll bring up a good point, and, and now the show is saved, and, you know, anybody who maybe knows the real story about what went on with The Last Man Standing in particular, like myself, um, because I'm, you know, six degrees from some of the people involved, and Tim Allen even brought up the point. He goes, if they wanted to punish me, that's that's fine because they disagree with what my character believed or what I believe or anything. But how ignorant of ABC to punish me when I'm not the one who's going to hurt. I'm Tim Allen. Mm -hmm. And he goes, what about the, the crew? What about all these people who just lost their jobs? And, you know, for a show that was doing well. The, I, when shows get canceled because they're not doing well, it sucks, but there's at least a business side to it. You can see the but, writing on the wall there. Yeah, and, and everybody's prepared. But with a situation like that where it really was, you know, unfortunately, they what it came down to was they didn't want him to have a show on there anymore. And it was like, okay. But he's like, that doesn't hurt me. That hurts everybody else. Like, yeah. and, and that's just insane. And people don't realize that... Because I... I like a lot of Brian Singer's movies, for example. Brian Singer was the first one to bring X-Men to the screen, which was a huge part of my childhood. I mean, he pretty well... Hugh Jackman is Wolverine because of him. Yeah. Yet, I don't support him, but that doesn't mean that I'm not going to, like, continue to watch. Like, I mean, fucking Superman Returns has Kevin Spacey, and he directed it, but... All the people that made that movie still, I mean, and it was a good film. I mean, I know some people would disagree, or just like with the, a lot of the X-Men properties. But you have to sit there and you think, like, I mean, he was kicked out of Bohemian Rhapsody for that very reason. But that, and everybody else is not going to suffer for it. And that was yeah. the right decision. But when these things have already been made, you can't pull up like they did with the Louis C.K. Woody Allen movie. And I'm someone who doesn't like Woody Allen, because believe me, he's far worse than Louis C.K. could ever be people. But how messed up was it that everybody got punished because that movie wasn't ever released? And it is like, you don't sit there and think about, like, the fact of, like, yes, these people that were maybe the star, the director, whatever, they're not suffering because they got their paycheck. But what yeah. about all these other people? And, and that's one of the things that we in this industry kind of know and think about that I think that it's good that we're talking about it so people understand yeah. You have every right to boycott stuff, but I want you to know the whole picture before you think about doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. There's, it, when it's a collaborative project, you have to think about the people whose names aren't up at the top. Like, yeah. if you don't like PewDiePie and you want to boycott his channel, yeah, that's it's his just channel. PewDiePie, yeah. whatever. And yeah. honestly, he's going to be fine. Like, and whatever. To, like, if you don't like Logan Paul and you want to boycott his channel, good for you. No, yeah. seriously. I support that. Uh, but understand that it's not 
going to screw up dozens and dozens of people's lives. Yeah. It's just going to affect Logan Paul and maybe a few people close to him. Like, I know he has a camera crew and some editors. Like, it, it is going to affect yeah. them. Like, you have to understand that when it's a single person project and you boycott it, it does one single person. When it's a small group project and you boycott it because of one person, it hits the whole group. When it's a huge, huge production with many multiple moving parts and you boycott it because of one person, it's not going to affect that celebrity that you see. It's going to affect the person who is working 60 hours this week at minimum wage, just trying to keep a roof over their heads. Hollywood's rough, y'all. Yeah, like... Hollywood's rough. And that's the thing, is, like, so many of... I'm so glad when people are really honest about it. That's why I listen to a lot of, like, actors' podcasts and things like that, because they're a little bit more open. And, And on this as well, it's like, people don't realize... How poor we all are. I mean, this is free, y'all. I mean, like, not like we're making bank, like, here. And there are a few people that do. But that's why, like, very few of them actually wind up suffering, you know, unless there's real consequences to their behavior, like Weinstein or whatever. But, and when people do these little boycotts, I'm glad that you have a voice and want to say stuff. But you have to understand that with these situations, it's a lot bigger than you think. So there's the sad thing is the right answer here is convincing Hollywood to not give these people more jobs. Yeah. But you can't convince Hollywood without convincing them that it's going to hurt their profits. But if you cut into their profits, the first people to get cut are the people working the grunt jobs, not the stars. So it's it's this weird little waltz. It's very, very difficult to decipher from the outside and from the inside, honestly. Yeah. 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 Hollywood like, is well, a... Hollywood's a quagmire, guys. <laughs> it's crazy out it's here. It's quagmire. Quagmire. <laughs> giggity Let's have sex. <laughs> that was Not that guy. quagmire. And also, <laughs> <I know. laughs> we were just talking about Weinstein. <laughs> I know. Oh. No, I, I... I understood that reference. No. God, I recently rewatched Avengers. Like, I watched it on the plane and went to, it's like, my two reactions were, yeah, this is definitely a Joss Whedon movie, and, mm-hmm. oh, they're all so tiny! Mm-hmm. <laughs> this was before Ultron and Winter Soldier and everything went to hell, and this is when we still thought that, that Tony was going to rebuild Stark Tower and that everyone would have a floor and they'd all live there because mm-hmm. we had that scene with the building plans. And, <laughs> my God, fandom was having a hate it with that back then so so much fan fiction about movie night in avengers tower oh and it was no one could get thor right and everything was a blast Mm -hmm. like oh my god Uh, no one got thor right until now until ragnarok oh yeah yeah. (laughs) that's really the thing is like thor is a hard character but once you play to chris hensworth's strengths it's like yeah but people were making him out to be not as intelligent as yeah. he actually is. And that's that's kind of an easy thing to fall back on sometimes. Yeah. But, you know, you can go in. I actually went through recently because someone, someone brought up the, hey, remember this era of MCU fandom when this is mm-hmm. what people were doing? And then someone else said, yeah, did you ever read these fics? And I went, no, click. And the last one was updated in, like, 2012. And, of course, <laughs> it leaves off in the middle of the story. And I'm sitting there going, where's the rest of I don't care if it's all a bazillion years old. I don't care if it's not completely in character. 
I am enjoying this a lot. And one of these stories actually nearly made me cry mm-hmm. because this person straight up went into how being mind controlled by Loki affected Hawkeye, went into oh, the yeah. after effects of that. And I'm just like, oh my God, this is amazing. Is everyone completely in character? No. Does it matter? No. No, because this is such a compellingly told story. And at one point I was sitting there going, I'm in public. I'm not allowed to cry at this because then people are going to be like, why are you crying in public? And I'm going to be like six-year-old fan fiction. They're going to be like, what the hell is wrong with you? (laughs) So I'm not allowed to cry at this right now, but oh my God. And again, it doesn't have to be perfect. No, There's no shame in, in liking something like that. I had a blast. I stayed up way too late for a week solid reading these and then regretted it when I was exhausted and ran out of fic very quickly. But that's what I do when I find something that I love to read. I'm like, oh god, it's 3am. I should probably close this and go to bed. She says, baby. It's 3am and I get up at (laughs) 7. Um, that's a fandom that I'm a part of. Like, um, I, like, am embedding this now, and if you know me, you probably already know this, but I am a hardcore Rob Thomas lover. Nice. And Matchbox 20 fan, like, if I was closer at the concert, I probably would have thrown my underwear at him. Like, and I will, I will just say that, like, I'm admitting this right now, as someone whose first time to L.A. was to see Nine Inch Nails quote-unquote last show, obviously that's not true because they got a three-day residency at the Palladium in December. But yeah, like, I was a badass and liked that kind of music, but I get down to some Rob Thomas, like, hardcore. Oh, yeah, no, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I own all the Matchbox 20 albums. I still have, I have so much stuff on my iTunes, it's... I love listening to my iTunes on Shuffle because I have about 30 gigs worth of music on there and it's just nuts. So at one point there's an Overwatch fan song about how support is underrated and you should have picked Mercy. And then there's Hollow Moon by, um, oh my god, AWOL Nation, which includes the line, Motherfucker, I'll be back from the dead soon, which is... One of the best lines in a song there. Yeah. And then there's a song from the fucking Yu-Gi-Oh! soundtrack that was released. Yeah. When they ch- no, I'm not kidding. They have great instrumentals. That's hilarious. And some really, really nerdy songs. All of which I kept because it was high school and I adored it. And then it switches to, oh, hey, you have something from the Tube and Master soundtrack. And then, oh, hey, was this NSYNC's first album? No, it was their second. And then, oh, Poets of the Fall. I love love them. They've never had a stateside concert, and I wish they would because I would be there like white on rice, but Poets of the Fall. So my iTunes is insane. Yeah, like, And I am ashamed of literally none of it. That reminds me of, like, when you mentioned the Yukio, when I worked at Gold's Gym as a yoga and cycling instructor in Dallas, um, that, that I lived in other lives, people. And I tried to make a play, like, everybody was, is really into playlists with their exercise. And, like, mm-hmm. that's one of, like, the things that I really get irritated with. I get, like, music's important to, like, exercise, but, like, so many people are, like, so far off, depending on what you do. And, and it's a crapshoot because people are crazy. But I did a whole video game Spotify playlist that was, like, the Pokemon theme, Mario. Like, and I was so proud of it. And people were such dicks. Like, they were, like, not having it at all. Like, only one guy stayed. The rest of them, like, left. And they were like, like, you can't teach this class again. I'm like, fine. Like, I don't want to teach these people. They don't even know. 
I feel like if you did that out here, people would come specifically for that. Oh, yeah. Honestly, I'm like, hey, any cycling studios want to hire me? Because I guess this podcast is free and I do need to make money. So, like, actually bringing <laughs> this up and if it would work here in L.A. Because there is a nerd gym. It's like, I would yeah, bring strong. that back. I would do that class, like, because I'm not a very, I was not a very good cycling teacher because I did not like the people in the class because they would bitch if I played Rush or anything. So it's like, you're not my people, but those people may be my people. We may gel. See, and this is the point where I would like to introduce you to the soundtrack of <coughs> Undertale. What? <laughs> it is. Oh my god, talk about fandoms that have a dark side, but are for the most part super chill, mm. super enthusiastic people. Oh my gosh. Undertale is a game by Toby Fox. And the basic premise of it is, what if you could go through an RPG, but nobody had to get hurt? Because, you know, you do a monster encounter, you fight the monsters, you kill the monsters, you get the XP and the loot, you move on with your life. Yeah. Most of the mechanics for any given game include some form of combat. And the idea behind Undertale is, oh yeah, you know, you have random encounters with monsters, but all of these monsters are people in their own right. They all have personalities. There's all like there's a whole story with it. And the story is incredible and it's also another thing that has straight up made me cry, and I'm <laughs> not ashamed of that. But you can choose to run it like a normal RPG and just fight everything and kill everything, or you can choose to be like well, what if I took alternate routes? What if I had a conversation with this monster and we talked about how nice his hat is? Or what if I laughed at this monster's terrible jokes? Or what if I had a flexing contest with this monster with the really buff arms? Or what if I let this monster that is literally a living carrot feed me carrots? Oh, actually, that's really good for my HP, and now they're happy that I ate my vegetables. And so this combat encounter is over. I made it happy by eating my vegetables, and I... Didn't gain any XP, but that's okay. It gave me a few gold and I made a friend. And it's... All of the encounters are like that. All of the boss fights are like mm -hmm. that. Like, you can go through this game making friends with everyone instead of hurting everyone. And it changes how, you, how the game is played. Huh. Because characters come back, except they can't come back if you killed them three hours of gameplay ago. And the dialogue changes, and if you are going through this game killing everything you see, NPCs start disappearing when they know you're coming. Huh. So you get some interactions if you go through being friendly that you don't get if you go through playing it like a normal RPG. And if you go <coughs> out of your way to get every single character and every single encounter and murder literally everything in this world, it plays very differently you get one of the most difficult boss fights. You get the most difficult boss fight in the game, and you can only unlock it from that run. But by that point, like, how invested are you in these people? Have you played the game through before? Did it change? And now you're doing what they call a genocide run. And how does that affect you as a person? And then that ending really makes you sit there and go, oh, oh my God, what did I do? And so Undertale is definitely a game with a lot of heart and soul and a ton of thought put into it. I'm still finding little dialogue interactions and whatnot that I didn't know existed because I played through in a certain way and this dialogue tree exists in a different way. Or, oh, well, if I'd called this person at this point, I would have gotten this fun little conversation. Like, there's so much in there. And it's such an incredibly heartfelt, passionate game. It's just, oh, Undertale. 
Undertale uh-huh. is wonderful and lovely and hurts my heart, and I adore it. And so many of the fans, there are fan comics, there are fan games, people have made music, people have done remixes of the soundtrack, which the soundtrack is incredible. And that's one of the things I think you'd enjoy. I actually have some of the boss battle music on my exercise playlist when oh, I go yeah. to the gym and I'm like, all right, let's do some cardio. Let's cue this up. Let's cue up Bone Trousel. I have a 17 minute repeat of it. Let's just go. <clears throat> and it's really good beats, really good music. And some of the more melodic, atmospheric pieces are just like, oh, I'm crying again because this is when this thing happened and that thing hurt my heart and the music reminds me and I'm crying again. <sighs> it's just, it's, it's such a good game. And it has so, so many passionate people behind it. And some people take that passion and use it for evil because, again, we get the, you're interpreting this wrong, you're doing this wrong, yeah. you're like, mine is correct and you are incorrect, contingency. And then you have these other people that are like, what run did you do? Did you do this? How did you do this battle? Oh my god, did you get this little piece of dialogue? Did your snail win the snail race? Oh, mine didn't either, but Napstabluk is so cute when he's rooting for you. Like, it's just... Aww. Enthusiastic fandom, enthusiastic fans, really, the, the characters for the most part in the game are all monsters, and they are more human than a lot of human characters in other video games and other properties. I feel like we need to end there because that was actually like a bright side, a happy fandom. I was like, before we dig down deep in the dark sides and, you know, stuff again. Um, Yeah, so is there any last words for the bright side of fandom? Every fandom has its bright side. Do your best to be a part of that. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) <laughs> and so uh, where can they keep up the conversation with you? And feel free to plug anything, you know, projects. Yeah. Oh, plug the hell out of things. Yeah. Um, you can find me all over the social medias. So Twitter, Tumblr, I am on YouTube, I am on Twitch. I'm going to start using my Twitch channel a lot more. going to start doing more chill streams where I just play music and puzzle games and talk with my chat because my chat is lovely people. Oh, cool. And that is all at Kiaje. That is K-I-A-X-E-T. So all the social medias, the YouTube channel, all that fun stuff. I may or may not have a podcast project that I am working on. I don't want to say too much more about that because that is still very much in the works, but um, subscribe to those social medias. Keep an eye on that. I'm also doing a couple of fandom-based shows. We are doing the Voltron After Show on AfterBuzz. That's coming back. And then I'm also part of Rooster Teeth Reviews, where we talk about all things Rooster Teeth. We're currently in the middle of doing Red vs. Blue. Camp Camp is going to start up again, and that is always a blast and a half. And we have a project that we're doing with that team called Welcome to Vale, which is a which is a Night Vale-style podcast themed as Ruby. And it's it has been an absolute blast. And everyone who has worked on that has been glorious. Mark, Mark Donica is the voice of our main host, and he does such a good job. And the writing, like the whole team has been working on the writing, and it's it's been fantastic. So I definitely recommend uh, search Welcome to Vale or search for, I believe it's The Rooster Team on YouTube. That's where the episodes live. And yeah. I'm working on many a thing, but follow the social medias to keep up on that. And if you like reaction videos, then follow the YouTube channel, because that's where those live. Alright guys, and since I'm Lucretia Lyon, you can always find me at L-A-C-R-E-T-I-A-L-Y-O-N anywhere on the internet, since there is only one. 
And uh, be sure to subscribe to the uh, Red Room podcast as well. And these come out on Tuesday. That comes out on Thursday. And then you can just fill your week with me. And on that podcast, uh, it's not always the bright side, but it is um, usually pretty positive about dark things, all things horror. So, yeah. See you guys next Tuesday. All right. You've made it to the end of yet another episode. So if you haven't already subscribed, just be sure to hit that button there on whatever podcast app you are on. And be sure to let me know if there's an app you like to use and it's not on. I will try to rectify that because there's so many now and I want to make sure that this is getting to everybody who at least wants it. Um, But yeah, and two, if you like it, let us know. Just leave a comment, five-star review. Um, That's the only number of stars I think you can leave. Um, Again, but... Don't quote me on that. I don't know how that works. But, yeah, if you do, leave a comment. I'll read it on the air. And thank you, guys. And, two, if you have any suggestions of people you'd like to uh, hear on the podcast, just let me know. Um, You can tweet at uh, Lucretia Lyon. That's L-A-C-R-E-T-I-A-L-Y-O-N anywhere on the Internet since there is only one. Yeah, just let me know who you'd like to hear. I'll see what I can do. This is becoming a thing. And that's because of you. Thank you, guys, so much. And, again... See you next Tuesday.